I continue to, in bewildered fashion, wait for someone who is running against Donald Trump in the 2024 nomination or might soon be running against Trump to levy some kind of criticism of Donald Trump, some kind of policy critique, draw some distinction between what they would do and what Donald Trump would do. We have a couple of examples here, and the one that is getting weirder and weirder by the day is former South Carolina governor and former ambassador to the United Nations under Donald Trump, Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley has announced that she is running against Trump. Right. Okay, good. So like, what would you do differently? Well, nothing, but I'm younger and I'm a woman and I'm a minority. Identity politics has been Nikki Haley's approach so far. It has now been weeks and Nikki Haley went on Fox News and she was asked, are you going to draw any distinction with Donald Trump? And her latest thing is, well, let's see if he criticizes me first. That you're not going to kick sideways, but we've seen Donald Trump on the debate stage, and I guarantee you he will kick sideways and he will come after you. Yeah. Um, and so, and you're going to have and to stand I'm up kicked, to that. I kick back. When I'm kicked, I kick back. There's and what will your argument against him be? Part. Well, let's wait and see if he's got a criticism first. He hasn't <laughs> done anything. He hasn't said anything. So I know everybody wants. To That's very much untrue. Talk about Trump, but Martha truly. And we had a couple of thousand people in South Carolina. We had packed rooms in New Hampshire. Not one person asked me about Donald Trump, not one. And now we're in Iowa. People really want to talk about the issues. And I think that's a lot of it. They're done with the status quo. They're done with talking about all the old school things. They want to talk about how we're going to go forward. And I think what we need to make sure we tell American families is we're going to stop this socialism creep that we're seeing. <laughs> we're going to stop this. Any criticisms of Trump? Socialism is bad that's happened around our country. We're going to make people stand for America again and be proud of America. Yeah. So remember, she says, as soon as Trump criticizes me, I will criticize him. Trump brutally criticized her last week. Remember, he, he said she was such a terrible governor that he made her ambassador as a favor to the people of South Carolina to get her out of the state. He posted, quote, on a truth, true social Trump posted last week. The greatest thing Nikki Haley did for our country in the great state of South Carolina was accepting the position of U.N. ambassador so that the incredible then lieutenant governor Henry McMaster could be governor of South Carolina, where he has done an absolutely fantastic job. That was a big reason why I appointed Nikki to the position. It was a favor to the people I love in South Carolina. She's basically saying I have criticisms of Trump, but I'm going to wait till he criticizes me. Hard to find a more serious criticism than that. And then in addition to this, Trump just a few days ago saying there are people out there with no polling support, basically auditioning for vice president. When Trump said the following, nobody else was running. It was only Nikki Haley that this could be applied to. A lot of people are right now auditioning. You know that a lot of people, a lot of people that are running at one percent, two percent, three percent, no percent. We have a couple that are joining. They're at no percent. <laughs> I say, I wonder what they're doing. I think they're auctioning right now. For, they're auditioning right now for vice president. In a sense, they are kind a of auctioning of themselves right off. Trump's Freudian slip there. Uh, Trump's slip there may be more Freudian than, than we might think. Uh, but this was something we suggested. I kind of agree with Trump. I do think there is an element of let me run to get attention, but not criticize Trump. Draw no distinctions whatsoever from Trump on policy and see if maybe that can get me the vice presidentship. So that's Nikki Haley still unwilling, unable, whatever 
to draw any distinctions other than identity distinctions between her and the guy she is running against. Let's next talk about another guy who might be entering the race, Tim Scott. Nikki Haley, fine. She's not going to tell you anything she disagrees with Trump on. She's not going to draw any policy distinction. She's only going to talk about identity. Fine. What about Tim Scott? Tim Scott is a Republican senator from South Carolina. Tim Scott was also given the opportunity by Sean Hannity to draw a distinction between himself and Trump when it comes to policy. Tim Scott has not yet announced that he's running, but the rumors are that he may well be doing that. He didn't do it either. Take a look at this. What are the differences in terms of policy positions that, for example, you may have with President Trump? Probably not very many at all. I am so <laughs> thankful that we have President Trump in office. Frankly, the policies that we were able to pass from 2017 to 2020 were monumental and thankful. Any criticisms of the guy you might run against since you'll have to justify why someone would vote for you over Trump? No, his policies were great, really. I mean, I do, it's very beautiful, beautiful presidency. Hannity asked Tim Scott a second time, any just Anything you want to mention here, Tim? Might we then find ourselves in a position where you know, maybe we'll have six, seven, eight, maybe 10, maybe 20 Republican candidates on a stage that mostly agree on what the governing philosophy and ideology <laughs> should be for the country, what works yeah, for the country. That's what we're going to uh, have. Then where are the differences? What would the differences be, do you think? Yes, yeah, a great question, Sean. I would simply say this. What I'm learning on my Faith in America tour is. Yes, he, in order to decide whether to run for president, I guess he's learning during a Faith in America tour. Oh, my goodness. Tell my story as an African-American who's born into <laughs> poverty. He's doing the identity politics thing, too. Oh, my God. These people, they no identity politics. The two people who are or might be running against Trump talk only about their identity when asked about policy differences. And then a single parent household, the strength of my community, my Chick-fil-A mentor, who happened to be a white guy, a Citadel graduate from in South Carolina, he taught me that you, no matter where you're born, you can rise beyond your circumstances if you're willing to perspire because you're inspired by the American story. Leaning into that helped change my life, bringing people together, black folks and white folks, not because of the color of our skin, but because we have one single focus. We believe you might be noticing there are no policy distinctions here. The goodness of America. I want to share with people why we should be proud of who we are and at the same time debunk the lies. of. All right, we're going to stop. This is looking like the identity politics primary of 2024 on the Republican side. Let's imagine Tim Scott gets in next. OK, we will have Trump, Nikki Haley and Tim Scott. Any policy differences at all that any of you want to cite? Anything that Trump did during his presidency that was bad that you would have done differently? No, nah, I don't know. But if you want a younger minority woman, you can go with Nikki Haley. It's Trump's policies with a younger minority woman. There's Haley. If you want the slightly older than Nikki Haley, but still younger than Trump and black version of Trump, then you've got Tim Scott that you can vote for. This is 
unbelievable. And it is another one of these examples of how the right loves to claim the left is all about canceling and suppressing free speech. Actually, it seems like it's the right that that is. Oh, the left is all about um, you, you know, regulating businesses and telling them what they can do. Oh, it's actually the right who wants to tell Twitter and all these other companies what to do. We I could go down the very, very long, long list. The, the left is about restricting people's freedoms, and it's the right that wants to determine what people can do in bedrooms, for example. And in this case, it's the right that loves to say the left is constantly doing identity politics, identity politics, identity politics. They have two and soon will have three candidates who seem only willing to challenge the former president's um, a candidacy on the basis of identity, on the basis of identity. Tim Scott being asked, give us some policy differences. It sounds like we're going to have a bunch of people on stage who all agree. Uh, well, listen, you know, as I go around the country as a, as a black man, what this is now what the Republican Party has become identity politics. It is madness. But you know what? If their voters don't care about policy, maybe this is the smart thing. Just have them pick based on identity. Do you want the uh, Indian American female version of Trump or do you want the black American male version of Trump? What, what is it you want? Because on policy, they're not talking about it. And voters, quite frankly, don't seem to care. Wild and wacky times. I'll have these clips for you on my YouTube channel. Find it at youtube.com slash the David Pakman show. Make sure you're subscribed, folks. We're trying to push towards two million subscribers and also be aware of the David Pakman show now available in Spanish for our Spanish speakers. David slash Spanish. One of our sponsors is Little Spoon, your one stop shop for healthy, easy meals and snacks for your baby, toddler or big kid delivered right to your door. Little Spoon has you covered with fresh, organic baby food for every stage. They have toddler and kids meals that even the picky eaters will love. They have smoothies for on the go. And they just launched a new product called Biteables, which are early finger food meals cut into bite sizes for easy self feeding, which will make your transition to the table food a breeze. Little Spoon's baby food is 100% organic and cold pressed for every eating stage. My daughter loves those. For toddlers and big kids, Little Spoon has the classics like mac and cheese. But they'll sneak things in like butternut squash and carrots. They're all kid approved and packed with nutrients. And the best part, kids meals are under six dollars each. Baby food under three dollars a serving. So it's quick, easy and affordable. Go to littlespoon.com and you'll get 50 percent off your first order with the code Pacman 50 off. That's littlespoon.com. Save 50 percent with coupon code Pacman 50 off. That's Pacman five zero off all one word. The info is in the podcast notes. One of our sponsors today is BetterHelp. Uh, viewers of the show, listeners know I'm a big advocate of therapy. Uh, I think it's important to make it more accessible, remove any stigma that might be associated. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. And therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest, figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. 
If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. BetterHelp is therapy done entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. Fill out a brief questionnaire. You'll be matched with a licensed therapist. Switch therapists anytime at no additional charge. I'm a huge believer in talk therapy and BetterHelp is making it more accessible to more people. You can even find a therapist who specializes in certain areas, which maybe you can't find where you are geographically. There are lots of great benefits to doing therapy online. Get it off your chest. Visit BetterHelp. Go to BetterHelp.com slash Pacman show today to get 10 percent off your first month. That's better. H.E.L.P. dot com slash Pacman show. The link is in the podcast notes. Plastic, it's everywhere we look and not enough is being done about it. One hundred billion plastic bags are used and thrown away every year. Here's something super simple you can do to reduce plastic and help the planet a little bit. Our sponsor, Hold On Bags, is the company making plastic free trash bags and zip seal kitchen bags. They're just as strong and high quality as the plastic bags you're used to. Hold On Bags are 100 percent plant based and home compostable, meaning they break down in just weeks, not decades. Their zip seal kitchen bags come in sandwich or gallon size to fit all of your needs, whether it's carrots or crayons at home. I put all of my food waste in a hold on trash bag, throw it in the compost pile. And when I throw a hold on trash bag in my dumpster, I love knowing it's not filling our landfills and oceans with plastic. Single use plastics harm the planet at every stage, production, disposal, decomposition. Join the growing movement away from single use plastic. These products are really great. It's so easy to make the switch. Go to holdonbags.com slash Pacman and you'll get 20 percent off with code Pacman at checkout. That's H O L D O N B A G S dot com slash Pacman code Pacman saves you 20 percent. The info is in the podcast notes. The David Pakman show continues to be a community and audience supported program. We do what we do thanks to the support of viewers and listeners like you, primarily toward, uh, through something called the membership program. You can sign up at joinpacman.com. One of the ugly secrets of the world that we live in is that when you support independent media through a lot of platforms, they're taking 10, sometimes even 30 or 40 percent of every dollar that you contribute with the membership program. We pay two point nine percent to swipe those credit and debit cards and keep the rest. So it's the really most efficient way to support the work we do. You can sign up at joinpacman.com. You get, of course, access to the bonus show and so many other great benefits. Joinpacman.com is the place to be. Let's hear from the most important people. It is that community that I mentioned that are the most important uh, folks in the audience. We like to hear from you regularly via Discord. You can find our Discord at davidpacman.com slash Discord. And we are going to start today with Evan from San Francisco. Evan, welcome to the program. I uh, am anxiously awaiting uh, hearing about what's on your mind today, my friend. Okay. 
Evan, you're on the air. It's your turn to speak now. Can you hear me? Yes. No. Yep, I can hear you fine. All right, Evan, starting us off with some beautiful technical problems, which you love to see. Let's instead go to Bishop from Kentucky. Bishop from Kentucky, welcome to the program. Uh, once you unmute yourself, we'll be able to talk, and uh, I'm glad to uh, hear about what's on your mind today. Oh, hello. Yeah, you're on the air. Okay. Um, I just wanted to talk about. You've seen um, the recent improvements of um, AI, like deepfakes and stuff, right? Yes. Do you think this is ever going to be like a problem when it comes to like legal cases? Like people could um, conjure up evidence that doesn't actually exist, and like with how realistic they sound, like and how fast it's improving, it seems to be a bit worrying. And I wonder what your opinion is on that. Yeah, well, so one of the things that we've seen when it comes to this exact sort of uh, problem is whenever some new technology becomes widespread, which allows either plagiarism of a new kind or um, fabrication of a new kind, you then create essentially a whole new like industry of tools and experts designed to authenticate or to determine is something plagiarism or is a piece of evidence real or fake. So my expectation would be that if indeed using these tools to create fake evidence in trials becomes an issue, there will be a new cottage industry of experts and tools developed to attempt to authenticate whether evidence that is presented is really uh, authentic. Now, is it possible that the AI technology gets very far ahead of the authentication technology and it's impossible to authenticate stuff? Maybe. But usually whenever this happens, technologies and experts are developed and trained to then authenticate what that new technology is making possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's Sounds fair. I was uh, I've just like seen mostly jokes like on um, deep fake jokes like recently, like with like Trump or Biden or yeah. Andrew Tate. And they're pretty funny, but it's like it was like slightly worrying how um, realistic they were. Like yeah. the, um, the amount of time that it's like taken to like reach this level of um, competency when it comes to AI is like quite astounding. I didn't really think we'd see anything like it, at least like in my early lifetime. But it's happening a lot quicker than I thought. And I just wanted to know your opinion on it. It is happening very quickly. You know, so far, the deep fakes of me that have been sent to me aren't very convincing. But I'm guessing at some point in the next year or two, someone's going to send me a deep fake of me and it'll probably be shockingly realistic. And it sounds very scary, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I'm sure, I'm sure that will happen. Yeah. All right, Bishop, thank you for the call. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right. There is Bishop from Kentucky. Why don't we go next to Jacob from Denver? Jacob from Denver. Welcome to the David Pakman show. What's on your mind today? Uh, how's yeah, it going? Jacob, you're on the air. Cool. I just have a question about um, hypocrisy. So okay. I've been following your channel now for a long time and it's it's all over the internet. It's all over news. This idea that, you know, someone's being hypocritical is like, is it even valuable to point out hypocrisy anymore in well, politics or in general, or is it just, is it a fallacy? It's not a fallacy. No, uh, it's, it's not a fallacy to point out hypocrisy. It helps us to get at sort of the root of what 
elected officials really care about, right? Like, for example, if an official claims to care about the deficit when a Democrat is president, but not when a Republican is president, it suggests to us they don't really care about the deficit. They care about scoring political points. And then it allows us to maybe more accurately assess and evaluate the things that they say. So in that sense, it's not fallacious. You are getting at a reality, though, which is not only have Republican elected officials clearly stopped trying to avoid the appearance of hypocrisy and double standards, their voters also don't seem to care. So there is a question about the utility of us pointing out right wing hypocrisy when the elected officials don't care and their voters don't seem to care. Is it just a waste of time? I think that that's a perfectly fair question to ask. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I do. I do feel that it sh- there should be some sort of value behind it. Yeah. But it's almost like a fatigue at this point. It's like, how much longer can uh, anybody stand watching anybody call somebody else a hypocrite? It just it feels so vapid at this point. A hundred percent. It does. It shouldn't. But it does because consistency has been abandoned even as a goal. And that's really the sad part. Yeah. All right, man. Well, hey, thanks for the call. All right. Yep. Uh, Jacob from Denver. Great to hear from you. Let's go next to David from St. Petersburg. Now, is this St. Petersburg, Florida or St. Petersburg, Russia? Oh, boy. David from St. Petersburg. Welcome to the program. And last chance for David from St. Petersburg. Sadly, we will never know. Was it Russia? Or was it Florida? Very sad. Very, very sad. Let's go next to Jack from Connecticut. Jack from Connecticut, welcome to the program. Good morning, David. Can you hear me? I can hear you fine. Wonderful. It's nice to be back. Uh, I'd like to bring up a personal topic today. Okay. Personal to um, you or to me? Uh, personal to me. Oh, but okay. it kind of kind of relates to everyone in this audience, sort of. Sure. Um, so about a couple of weeks ago, uh, President Biden announced that the federal government will be ending the COVID emergency yep. on the federal scale. And that hits personal to me for two reasons. Yes. Uh, number one, it's on May. It's out. The date is May 11th, which is also my birthday. Okay. And number and number two, it's also the day before the three year anniversary of my grandmother passing from this deadly and very real disease. Okay. Um, so. I just wanted to ask you a question about this. Um, Do you think this is a real light at the end of the tunnel in terms of the end of the COVID emergency? Or do you see this as Biden's way of easing into the GOP's demands, given the high stakes negotiations regarding budget and the deficit ceiling? Listen, uh, so there's there's sort of two parts to this. The first part is, does Biden ending the COVID emergency change anything about the reality of what's happening with covid out in the world? The answer is, of course not. It's a political determination. It's a political change. We have an we have an emergency. We don't have if I if right now I do, I was president and I declared Ebola an emergency, it wouldn't change anything about Ebola. It would just be a political designation. So the first thing is this isn't really meaningful in terms of covid now. In terms of do I think that the the COVID is over? No, COVID's not over. When you look at global cases and deaths, they are down 
quite a bit and they continue to decline. And there's the question of whether we say, is this now part of the background level of risk, sort of like you could go out and get the flu and you're aware of it. You could go out and get covid and you're aware of it. But we now say we are not considering covid something special. We're saying COVID's still there, but we're sort of including it in the total risk of going out and you might get a stomach bug or the flu or get hit by a car, or whatever the case may be. I, I don't know when the right time is. I don't think that what Biden is doing is really being pushed or that he's being kind of pressured by Republicans necessarily. I mean, very few people are talking about the federal emergency designation anyway. Uh, and most people aren't acting like anything is going on anyway. So I, I think that it's really more of a political decision and maybe even a financial decision. But I think really to figure out what's going on, you need to be looking at data that is totally separate from anything Joe Biden says. Yeah, it's very unfortunate that this whole fiasco has turned into a political situation, especially coming from someone who lost a beloved family member from this terrible disease. Yeah. But uh, fortunately, at the time, oh, not fortunately, I'm sorry. Uh, at the time, there wasn't adequate testing available. Right. So there was no way to point out anything in a sense. But it's very fortunate to know that um, things have improved in some way. And um, there's some way we can see some light at the end of the tunnel, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, no question about it. And um, a lot of the light at the end of the tunnel depends on personal risk tolerance and a lot of things that are different for everybody. So I appreciate the call, Jack, and uh, be well, okay? Thank you very much, David. I appreciate it. All right. There is Jack from Connecticut bringing up a number of important issues. Let's go next to, oh, I don't know. How about Jose? in New York. Jose, welcome to the program. Hello, uh, David. It's by the way, it's um, Jose. It's Portuguese, but I'm very impressed you got the last name correct. I didn't even say the last name. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Last time uh, when I was uh, twitching, but anyway. Okay. So my question <laughs> is to you is yes. um, when the like back in like the 1800s and during the turn of the labor unions. Yeah. And such like that, when people started revolting and getting violent because their situations were poor. Yes. Do you think that's something that may be happening in the future? As if like uh, like during J6, people were clearly angry, but their anger was directed towards something else. Like, do you think we are due for violence? I'm not sure I understand what you're saying. You're saying, is it possible that in the future violence will happen like on J6, but directed at something different. I, I, I apologize if I'm not understanding um, like to the government, like the left side, the right side, because people's situations are so um, it, it's so like diminished from like back when my parents were were like starting up and that kind of stuff. What's um, what's diminished? Like the um, wages, the cost of living uh, opportunity for like housing. OK, so you, I, I, I am just not understanding what you mean. So get, be, so you're saying housing cost is up, wages are flat. So people are upset. Will that lead to violence, you're saying? Um, in a sense, yes. Like if um, oh, I'm sorry, I, I was I was still formulating this question. Um, when uh, when people like 
I'm sorry. You can skip over me. I'm sorry. All right. I, I appreciate the call. It sounds like there's an interesting question in there. Let's uh, call back. Call back when we figured out what it is. And I would I would love to answer it. Let's go next to Stoney from Indiana. Stoney from Indiana. Welcome to the program. What's on your mind today? Hey, David. Uh, how are you? I'm doing well. Good. Um, yeah. So I was just wondering, I know that you kind of side on the side of capitalists and some of the viewers are more on the leftist side, but I wanted to see your take on <laughs> crypto specifically and uh, kind of there's been some legislation from Elizabeth Warren and things of that nature. Um, just wanted to see if you're a crypto bro or kind of where you stand on that whole side of things. Yeah. So I've got a couple dozen videos about crypto. Um, I bought Bitcoin and Ethereum back in, I believe it was 2016. And um, I've been clear that I have no emotional attachment to crypto. I don't think crypto is uh, going to save the world. I also don't think crypto is uniquely evil. I basically took the approach back in 2016. This might be a thing. I want to put about 3% of my assets into it. Um, crypto, mm. Bitcoin and Ethereum did really, really well. So that 3% would become 6% and then I would sell half and then it would become 6% again and I'd sell half. And obviously more recently, crypto has diminished in value and I have absolutely no prediction about where it's going. Bitcoin could be in five years at a million dollars or it could be at zero. I have no idea. I think it's very volatile. I think it's risky. And I think um, many of the use cases that are cited aren't really that interesting or compelling. So I, I guess more so to my point is behind the I, I, I've never been much of a crypto person. I worked in finance on uh, in Wall Street and that sort of thing. So um, I we kind of stayed away from it because it seemed like, you know, a fairy tale. Uh, but the more I look into it, the technology seems very fascinating. Um, the blockchain sort of technology seems fascinating in and of itself. Even you look at the things like George Santos getting in trouble for the election or campaign funds, that sort of stuff, if it was available on the blockchain, that sort of transparency, I think, would help with politicians and knowing what they're doing with their funds and just making everything publicly available through that record. So I don't know if you have anything else to add on that, but that was just kind of my two cents. No, on I mean, listen, you, you're not wrong. I just don't know that it's that obvious that the blockchain is the only solution to like having not not fallen for the lies of George Santos. I just I, I'm I'm not as technologically savvy as one would need to be for me to definitively say the blockchain is the solution to George Santos's lies or there, there's five other solutions that are just as good. Well, I don't know. I, yeah, I don't think we prevent like George Santos because clearly there's not like proper vetting going on from yeah. the, the sort of committees. But more so, my point is, uh, if, if all of these transactions from every politician was available on the blockchain, um, such as how crypto is designed, the same thing with the fraud, if there's fraud, in crypto, you can trace it all the way back to its origins yeah, uh, because of the transparency. So more so just like from a corrupt politician perspective, even in Indiana, our secretary of state bought a bunch of stuff, was kind of put his feet to the fire about it. And we still elected him because it's a Republican state. Yeah. We don't really care. So it's just those sort of things that, I mean, from a transparency perspective, we have zero you know, trust in our government when it comes to what they're using the funds for. I think from a technological perspective, it's very um, interesting and, um, you know, just more ways for us to 
trust the government in and of itself. I mean, you, you, this thing could be applicable all the way to the police forces being forced to. Yeah, you know, Stony. I don't. Uh, you know. I, I think I get it. I, I, I just, yeah. I don't know that blockchain is what we need for police accountability, vote counting, determining. I think it, that we're starting to go into like it seems like it can't. It doesn't make sense to me that it's the solution to everything. And that's where it starts to get a little bit weird for me. But listen, Mm -hmm. um, I appreciate the call and we're going to continue to follow it. All right. Thanks, David. All right. Stoney from Indiana. We're going to take the quickest of breaks and then we'll be right back and hear from more of you. I've had such trouble finding a great razor where I am not cutting myself or getting those nicks on my skin, which are so common with the cheap disposable razors. You have to meet our sponsor, Henson Shaving. Henson actually manufactures parts for the International Space Station and the Mars Rover. And they are bringing that exact same precision engineering to the shaving experience. It hurts when you shave because blades extend too far and thus they wobble slightly. But with their aerospace grade CNC machines, Henson is able to make metal razors that extend just 0.0013 inches. That's less than the thickness of a human hair, which means a secure, stable blade with a vibration free shave. It also has built in channels to evacuate the hair and the cream. No more clogs, no more rubbing your thumb on the razor to get the hair out. I use Henson at home. Shaving is a great experience now. Henson wants to be the best razor, not the best razor business, which means you only need to buy it once and it's awesome. Go to HensonShaving.com slash Pacman, add a razor and a hundred pack of blades to your cart, then enter the code Pacman to get the hundred blades for free. That is a three year supply That's H E N S O N shaving.com slash Pacman. Use code Pacman. The link is in the podcast notes. I like wine, but I know very little about it. And I am completely clueless when I go to a wine shop. I just don't know what I'm looking for. I don't know what I'm looking at. I couldn't tell you anything about varietals or if there's hints of persimmon or any of it. And so if you're like me, wishing you had a seasoned expert by your side when you're choosing wine, Crunchy red fruit is the answer. Crunchy red fruit delivers choice, handcrafted, small production wines right to your door. Every bottle is handpicked by owner and master sommelier Jackson Rohrbaugh in Seattle and comes with food pairing suggestions. We've been chatting with Jackson. His curating puts an emphasis on organic low intervention wines, wines without artificial yeasts or chemicals, crunchy red fruit sources from small scale, sustainable vineyards and only wines that are true to their location and grape. Crunchy red fruits bi monthly wine club is called the circle. Every two months, you'll get three or six bottles to enjoy with videos to help you appreciate what you're drinking. Go to crunchyredfruit.com. Use the code Pacman for $20 off a single purchase or If you join their bimonthly wine club, send a message to circle at crunchyredfruit.com after you sign up and they'll take $20 off your first shipment. That's crunchyredfruit.com. Use code Pacman for $20 off a single purchase or sign up for their bimonthly club and email circle at crunchyredfruit.com for $20 off. The info is in the podcast notes. 
Let's go back to Discord and hear from a few more people. First and foremost, I want to go to Adrian from Wyoming. One, I, I don't know why Wyoming is so interesting to me. I've never been. It has such a small population. I would like to visit Adrian and see what it's all about, you know? Hi, David. Pleasure, pleasure to speak with you. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Perfect. Um, yeah, I live in Laramie. Um, so my parents actually grew up in New York, but my parents... Um, both teach at the University of Wyoming. Um, uh, it's the only four-year school in the state, so it's kind of an anomaly when it comes to like all the other small rural wow. towns. But it's beautiful. You should actually definitely go drive through the mountains and see it all. But that's not um, the focus of my question. I was actually wondering a little bit about a different part of the world. Sure. In that, um, I know, so you uh, were born in Argentina, and I was wondering, there's an emerging group within... Um, the South American left, like leaders like Petro um, Castillo until he was ousted, um, uh, AMLO, I can't remember, I don't know if Castro is part of it um, in in Central America, but I was wondering if you were thinking um, what your thoughts are on this new rise of leftist leaders like Lula and if it's built to last or if it's potentially um, susceptible to more right-wing takeovers like we just saw in Peru. And what the left in South America would need to do to ensure that it's got more staying power as it's a relatively new phenomenon. Listen, I don't know if it has staying power. I know that on this issue, there's some people in the audience who like to say, oh, I'm some right winger and my family was part of the Argentinian right wing. And that's how we were able to get out. And we were supporters of the dictatorship. And, you know, none of that stuff is true. Uh, all of my family has been on the left and many are even further left than I am. And, uh, you know, I have no um, sort of like familial opposition to left wingers in Latin America. The concern I've had with some of the Latin American so-called left wing leaders of the last 20 years is that often it's the exact same sort of playbook. It's the populist rhetoric and they do some good things for the poor, but they rape and pillage many of the resources of the countries. In some cases, they abscond with obscene amounts of cash. There's not always freedom of the press. There's not always freedom of the courts. We've seen in Venezuela and elsewhere. So I don't take any kind of like big picture. This is good or this is bad. I'm on the left. Right. So like, as I've said before, you, between Bolsonaro and Lula, if those are my choices, I'm picking Lula. I also have concerns about Lula and I outlined them in the video I did about him. And I, I have to say it a thousand times. I still choose him over Bolsonaro, but I don't think Lula is God's gift to progressive politics either. You know, so I think we just have to Absolutely. wait and see and evaluate these individually. Absolutely. I just I, I hope that they're like, I hope that uh, um I'm going to say I was just in Colombia and I was speaking with a lot of like my younger friends there who say they um, they have hope, but they're um, and they're but they're a little worried uh, because the, the, the divide here is relatively stark, like as in the um, in the U.S. between like younger and older generations as to the image of the ideal society going forward. Um, so, yeah, I was just curious about your take and I appreciate the call. 
Thank you very much for your time. All right. Thank you, Adrian from Wyoming. Great to hear from you. Very much appreciate it. Why don't we go next to uh, Tommy from Wisconsin? Tommy from Wisconsin, welcome to the program. What's on your mind today? Hi, David. Can you hear me all right? Yes, I can. Okay. Um, I guess I just really had a comment about Nikki Haley and you know the possibility, and I know it's a ways off that she might end up as Trump's VP. Sure. But do you think if he chooses her, will she? Will he? Will Trump use her? name Nikki Haley or use her Indian name. Which I'm not even <laughs> what do you think? What do you think, smart. Tommy? Which name do you think he'll use? Um, I suspect he'll probably just refer to her as Nikki Haley. So he doesn't end up slaughtering her like Suchin Tendokur or. So or here's the thing. This Indian is the thing. with So for people who don't know, Nikki Haley's given name was actually Nimarada Randawa. OK, so um, her name now, now she goes by Nikki Haley. There's two sides to this. First, Trump would love to give her the Barack Hussein Obama treatment, which would be to refer to her as Nimarada Randawa. The problem, though, is Trump really struggles with names, as we know, you know, Suchin Tendulkar and Virot Kohli. And, and when he went to India and tried to pronounce the names of cricket players, it went really badly. So that would be a reason for Trump to stay away from that. But I think Trump would love to use her birth name as a way to subtly criticize her uh, with the kind of xenophobia that he's known for. Makes sense to me. Yeah, we'll see what happens, though. Right. Absolutely. All right, Tommy, well, thank you for the I call. Had, Beautiful. Thanks for taking my call. Great to hear from you. Appreciate it. Why don't we go next to Nick from Harlem? Nick, welcome to the program. What can I do for you today? Hey there. Can you hear me okay? Yes, I can. Well, uh, first time, long time. Thank you so much for your work. Um, I actually have a question about uh, the Pacman Finance Channel. Sure. Uh, so I know you have a background in uh, like you have an educational background in finance, and I, I don't know if you've ever taught or if you teach courses, but for me, uh, the Pacman Finance Channel has been like an educational experience, as I'm sure is one of your intentions. Yes. I've even had the opportunity to like share it with um, some of my like, conservative, conservative, um, I guess I would say acquaintances. And, you know, they end up also tuning into other, you know, the other Pacman channel, your main channel and that, you know, it's kind of, I found that kind of be, to be interesting. And my question is, I guess, um, would you ever consider doing a call-in aspect for Pacman finance? Like not necessarily a financial advice, um, but just, you know, how to, or, you know, if, if folks kind of have, you know, specific questions about their specific situations, I, I, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts around that? It is something I would consider. The thing you've got to be really careful about is you don't want to end up giving financial advice in a context where then it blows up on you, you know, in some way. Yeah, um, yeah. But I, it would be at least conceivably super interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And then I have one other quick question for you. If that's sure. Okay. Please. All right. So um, here, you know, in New York, we have um, uh, an oversight agency of the police department called the Civilian Complaint Review Board. And um, they're considered to be one of the, I guess, what you would say, premier agencies in the country when it comes to oversight of police misconduct. Mm -hmm. um, and so, but what I'm seeing a lot is uh, folks uh, criticizing 
them for being ineffective. And there, there's legislation actually in the state that's um, trying to remove the agency and replace it with something else. And so my question is not specifically about the agency, but it's about the idea, and I think I've heard you say this once before, about um, if we are going to, we can criticize, for example, Biden for policies and stuff like that, but um, if we don't have something to replace it with, what are what what are we to do? You know, and it's like I, I, it just frustrates me a lot of the time that um, people want to criticize like certain you know philosophies or certain things that are existing, not even the philosophy, like things that are in place. But how are you going to replace what you're criticizing and what is you know? And how do you suppose people can deal with that or, or as a movement of progressives even, you know? Well, you're getting at something want- that is, um, you know, it's one of these truisms where it's very it's much easier to criticize than it is to come up with solutions to problems. And mm-hmm. that doesn't necessarily mean that just because you've identified a problem but you don't have a solution, you should be ignored. I mean, it's it's not that rare. Like, let me give you an example. This is it's it's sort of um, it's, it's kind of silly, but it, it also makes sense. You could be watching a car race, a NASCAR race and know nothing about NASCAR vehicles, but identify a car that has something wrong with it. It's it's like wobbling down the track and it's slower than all the <laughs> others. And there's blue smoke coming out of it. Even without knowing much about how to fix that problem, you could identify that something is wrong. So I don't want to laugh off the fact that it's totally legit to say, hey, you know what? The status quo with student lending isn't working. You've got all these people. They take out these student loans. College is outrageously expensive. They graduate. They have a crazy debt, but the job they get doesn't pay much money that it's great that we can identify that. You don't necessarily need to know whether the solution comes from regulation or a higher minimum wage or making it harder to borrow or putting price caps on colleges or creating a job market that's more uh, uh, robust for non college jobs. You don't have to know the answer to be able to identify a problem. So I, I don't think that it's useful to just say, hey, just pointing out problems doesn't really have value. However, If you're in a position of power as an elected official or you're arguing that you should be voted into a position of power, you damn well better have some suggestions as to how to fix the problem. Mm -hmm. That makes absolute uh, sense to me. Thank you for that input. Uh, Thank you. I appreciate that. That makes a lot of sense. All right. Nick from Harlem. Thanks for the call. Thank you. All right. There he goes. Now on to all sorts of other things. Nick from Harlem. Let's go to Chris from Georgia. Chris from Georgia, welcome to the program. Um, I'll let you get settled here and unmute yourself. What's on your mind today? Chris from Georgia, you're on. I can't hear you, though. Probably you have your wrong audio device selected. Chris from Georgia, welcome to the show. All right. And there goes (laughs) Chris from Georgia. That's sad. I'm sad we weren't able to make the connection. Let's go to Ty from Iowa. Ty from Iowa. Welcome. What's going on? Hello, David. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Okay. Um, So I wanted to ask this. I just thought this was kind of weird. So I noticed, you know how like a lot of Republicans will say like, well, the Democrats are just communists and socialists and all this stuff, right? Yeah. So I think it's kind of weird, like. 
I remember Trump put out that one thing and he said like, China would have never flew a spy, spy balloon over me because China respects me too much. Yeah. I, I just thought that was really kind of weird to hear. Well, it's absurd. I mean, we we have we since found out that China did fly spy balloons during Trump's term. Uh, Trump yeah, apparently I know, I know they did. Trump apparently that's, that's wasn't told thing. about it, which fine. But the idea that they respect him too much or, or fear him too much. And this actually gets to a broader issue of, of the idea of fear as the way to get power and uh, respect in politics, you know, fear. And this came up during my interview on the Patrick Bet David podcast, where he said, is it bad that nobody fears the U.S. anymore? And I was like, well, what evidence do you have of that? He was like, forget it. You know, like we, we got off onto a different thing. But fear will make your uh, adversaries and allies involve you only enough to minimize the threat from you, but not enough to make you a serious participant. And so like the fear example, let's let's grant maybe other countries were afraid of Trump. They were afraid because he was so unstable and that only gets them to deal with Trump in a way that will be the minimum to prevent him from doing something completely insane. But he'll never be taken seriously when fear is the main thing that goes on. And so that's why I think that this idea of fear to gain power is fundamentally flawed. Yeah, I, it just was kind of weird to hear because it's kind of like he it seems like he'll praise China when need be, but then he'll also say that the Democrats are communists, but then it's like, well, you're you're praising this thing that to you is like a far left dictatorship. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. you know? Right. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think uh, so. So that's my view on that. I hope I've answered your question. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. Ty from Iowa. Thank you for the call. All right, thank you. All right. There he goes. Some pretty solid calls today, I must say. Let's go next to Moni from the United Kingdom. Moni, welcome to the program. What's on your mind today? Oh, yeah, I actually just got back from work. I love the show. I just want to say keep up the good work. I appreciate well, welcome. What you're doing. Thank you. Um, so I wanted to bring something up that uh, has been playing on my mind for a bit now, and I never really saw anyone bring it up. And it's yeah. when Biden did the State of the Union address fairly mm-hmm. recently. Yes. Um, no one seemed to point out that when Biden brought up the whole idea of funding the Border Patrol officers, actually getting the money and equipment that they deserve and they need, um, on the CNBC news station, it actually cut to Ted Cruz and his reaction. He was sitting there shaking his head and complaining. And I just yeah. don't get why. Oh, uh, it's I mean, I don't know how familiar you are with in general, how it's a complete partisan show. More, but yeah, yeah it's, it's mostly that. I mean, it's you know, that that's what te- people like Ted Cruz have to do. They have to complain. They have to shake their head their head. They have to ask, act disgusted, even about yeah. like uncontroversial things. Yeah. I mean, it's just such a shame because, um, I mean, clearly that's, he always says that the border needs to get more funding and more equipment and stuff like that. And, and then as soon as it's proposed, he sits there and shakes his head like the, you know, yeah, like who he is. But it's a shame it's, to see that. It's pathetic. It's what, it's what his voters expect him to do. And he's not a serious person. That's the reality. No. Uh, but, Listen, yeah, can I ask you, know. you a question? I'm curious if you have some insights. Yeah, of course. I'm soon going to be making my triumphant return to the United Kingdom, and I'm yes. going to have the opportunity to spend a little bit of time on the south coast of England. You know, where Brighton and Bournemouth, you know, the area. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If I had so, the opportunity to choose 
any place to spend a few days in that area. Is there a particular spot you would recommend? Like is Brighton better than Bournemouth or what? Where would you go? I, I haven't really been to uh, Bournemouth in my life. I'm, I'm kind of almost between Brighton and London uh, okay. is where I live. But I go down to Worthing and Brighton quite often. Brighton's really nice. Um, it is what a lot of us like to call the LGBT capital of Britain for the most part, or the south of Britain anyway. Oh, really? Well, um, th- those spots usually have some of the better food scenes. In, uh, is that the case in Brighton as well? Brighton does have a lot of good food options, oh, I interesting. will say, yes. And it's <laughs> um, right on the water, correct? Yeah, it's right by the beachfront, depending on where you stay in Brighton, of course. Um, Maybe Brighton is the, a the place to check out. That's interesting. Yeah, Brighton's always the, the go-to beach area, I think. I'm not going to speak for all people from the UK. But you, I, would, I know like you a... would never do that. You would never. <laughs> no, all right, all. good. I'm going to look into that. I appreciate the advice. But no, I, I love um, I've been looking a lot into US politics recently, and you've been doing some good work out there. So thank you for all that. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Have a good day. All right. Moni from the UK, folks, let's end it there because we couldn't possibly end on a higher note. We will take calls again, and I hope to hear from you next time. Imagine for a second that you try logging into your email account only to find that your password was changed an hour ago and then you get notifications of activity from your bank and then your credit cards. That is what identity theft is like. And it's a horrible feeling. And we dealt with it at the show not that long ago. But now I have an app called Aura which gives me much more peace of mind. Our sponsor Aura is the all in one solution for keeping your online account safe because Aura will scan the dark web for your personal info, passwords, social security number, and you get fast alerts when they find something. You also get fast alerts about credit inquiries. Aura protects all of your devices from malware. Aura even requests the removal of your info from data broker sites and Aura helps you manage what your kids can do on their devices. You can restrict certain apps, set screen time limits, set focus times when you need them off of devices. Go to Aura.com slash Pacman to try it free for seven days. Your login credentials might already be floating around out there and Aura will tell you instantly for free. That's A-U-R-A dot com slash Pacman to try Aura for free. The link is in the podcast notes. All right, let's get into the mailbag. It is Friday. Time to look at what some of you uh, wrote to me over the last week. You can email info at davidpacman.com, leave a YouTube comment, leave, leave anything, quite frankly. We might use it. First one, we sometimes start with something negative. I know the first one today is from Jordan, who is doing the right thing. He's using the wrong your in hate mail, which is almost required at this point. You're a bozo. Y-O-U-R. Jordan writes to me, do you really think you have everything figured out? Joe Biden has been on hibernation since 2020, and this country is a power keg not a powder keg. It's a power keg. Just once I'd want to see you honest with your audience by putting on clown makeup and a skirt. If you love Biden so much, you should go to sleep every day. Well, you know, Jordan, I do go to sleep every day. I think sleeping is really important. And it is stunning to me how someone like this can hold any job any job. 
Some of these folks could be your kids teachers. They might be your accountant. Now, maybe Jordan doesn't have a job. I don't know. But um, <laughs> let's move on. I was uh, surprised, but I guess not really. You know, we launched the Spanish YouTube channel last week, quite literally within minutes of the Spanish YouTube channel launching. I got my first hate Spanish email where Alexander wrote to me, comunista hijo de puta, sangre de basura, which means son of a bitch communist, trash blood. I have trashy blood, folks. Uh, don't you say anything about my blood until you see my CBC results and you'll be stunned. Um, no, listen, in all seriousness, the Spanish content is triggering people left and right, and it's wild. And I told you there's a lot of right wing conspiracy theories targeted at the Spanish speaking community, and that's why we've taken on this Spanish language dubbing project. Over a thousand of you have already subscribed. If you've got friends, family, parents, cousins, whoever who wants to be getting content like what we create, but they would rather get it in Spanish than in English, tell them about davidpackman.com slash Spanish. Davidpackman.com slash Spanish. Scott wrote in about my mustache. And says, David, sir, so much commentary from viewers who are activated and triggered by any changes to the show, set background, guest hosts, your attire, etc. Please count me in amongst those who are eagerly tuning in to watch the progress of the mustache looking better every day, my friend. That's Scott in New York City. Well, thank you. You know, I was going to start it only as a goof, but. I'm sort of enjoying the mustache when people see me who haven't seen me for you know a few weeks or a couple of months. I notice that they do a double take, but they don't want to bring it up. And I'll immediately say it's the mustache, right? And they can't help but say, yes, it is the mustache. This is a satirical mustache, to be completely clear, but it is generating interest and intrigue. And that is really more than I can ask for. So I'm going to keep it going. Uh, the shaving has much improved. It's all it's it's just it's all going really, really well is what I would say, Scott. So we're going to keep it going for the time being. OK, a couple emails about my interview with Patrick Bet David when I was down in Florida a couple weeks ago. Craig wrote in about the PBD approach to debating. Craig says you talking about him was the first I'd heard of him and he just turned me off. He would ask you a question that I'm sure you would have a straightforward answer to, but then he would immediately present an analogy that he feels would trick you into answering how he would like. Then when you ask him straightforward questions, he wouldn't answer. Instead, he would ask, where are you going with this? Thinking you are trying to trick him into saying the wrong thing and he doesn't want to get beat at his own game. Also, his come on, you're a smart person is very condescending. I'm curious your thoughts. Thanks. That's Craig from Maui. Yeah, Craig, you're right about everything you're saying. I thought it was super interesting. Um, perfectly nice guy. You know, and we chatted very briefly before and after the show and um, all, all of it and per perfectly nice guy. But um, I did think that it wasn't necessarily bad faith. It did seem in a way that he was just so careful not to fall into any kind of a trap. Like when I said to him, when you think about the tax rate you're willing to pay, like are you willing to pay more if you get more for your taxes? Like if it included college and health care, would you be willing to pay more than if it didn't? It really wasn't a trick question. It was trying to open a conversation about what we value. 
And he was saying something like, well, I don't think we're spending it the right way. And I'm like, that's not the question I'm asking, sir. Um, Craig's assessment is pretty, pretty spot on. Uh, and, and maybe I will have another opportunity to try again. Renee also wrote in about the interview with Patrick Bet David and said, hi, David, I'm listening to your chat with Patrick Bet David. I've never heard of this guy, but his arguments remind me so much of trying to have a conversation with my stepdad, who's good hearted, but so exasperating. I'm not sure if I can make it through this whole thing, because when you try to pinpoint one issue, he throws 10 other random examples and says, well, what about this? What about that? Like lending a bike to someone is the same as centralizing how we fund health care. It's so hard to get anywhere with people who have this worldview. But thank you for trying. Yeah, this was a very common um, sort of email I got feedback wise. I think the most interesting outcome of the Patrick Bet David interview is that usually the home team has a huge bias to the host. So, for example, I would expect that when I upload my interviews with PBD, um, the comments would be mostly positive about me. And they were. And I would expect that on his channel, the video we did would be mostly positive about him. Interestingly, tons of his viewers on his channel said in the comments, you were unnecessarily hostile. This didn't go well for you, Pat, et cetera, et cetera. The fact that that was even a noticeable portion of the feedback from his audience is very interesting. I don't know what it means, but it's certainly very, very interesting. And I would be interested in doing it again. Nolita wrote in and says, are you able to post a link on the main Web page for the Spanish broadcast? I can't find it. David said it quickly. I didn't catch it. I'm going to say the link again with total peace and love. David dot com slash Spanish. As of this moment, we have breached fifteen hundred subscribers on the channel and we got our first video with over a thousand views on the Spanish channel. It is extraordinarily exciting, extraordinarily exciting. And we're going to be putting in a bunch of different resources into the project because I think it is so important. Ron wrote in about the Ohio train derailment. And Ron said something I've been seeing everywhere. I've been seeing it on Twitter. I've been seeing it on Reddit. Ron says, David, can you provide coverage of the Ohio train derailment? I feel like this is a major story that should be getting more coverage, but isn't getting the attention it deserves. I genuinely don't understand why I am seeing this comment everywhere. There's a a narrative that's developed that nobody's talking about the train derailment. I see it everywhere. I I go to New York Times dot com. It's about the train derailment. I go to Washington Post train derailment, Fox News train derailment because they want to criticize Pete Buttigieg and Joe Biden about it. Reddit all over the train derailment, Twitter all over the train derailment, independent you know, media. We've already done a number of clips about it, and so have many of our colleagues. I am not seeing that there isn't coverage of this, and I don't know what people you know, it's happened in other cases where there's a story that's like everywhere and you see people saying this, it's not getting any coverage and yet everybody is talking about it. I don't really know where that's coming from. I'd be interested to know more. And if you have any sense of why that narrative is being repeated, let me know, because I am seeing coverage about every aspect of this. What caused it? The controlled burn, Mike DeWine, 
the chemicals? Is the water safe? Is the air safe? Is the soil safe? Is this Pete Buttigieg's fault or not? Is this Joe Biden's fault or not? The Obama regulations that Donald Trump rolled. I'm, I'm seeing every aspect of the story covered extensively, and it is an important story, so we should be seeing that. But I'm just not seeing the lack of coverage. Let me know if you know where that's coming from. We have such a great bonus show for you today. You can sign up so quickly at joinpacman.com. If you want to pay the normal prices, that's great. I believe that they're eminently reasonable. Six bucks a month, 60 for the year. If that strikes you as high for your financial situation, no problem. I have a coupon code for you. That code is 24 starts now. The number 2424 starts now. No spaces. Okay. 2024 really does start right now. We're in the middle of it already. Sign up. You'll get the bonus show, the commercial free audio and video feeds of the show, invitations to our members only town halls and access to the soundboard. Obama. Yeah, we have a soundboard in the member section of the website for our members. Check it out. We will see you on the bonus show momentarily.